want you to be ready. Let, let me share a little bit with you about hope. I thought it was so beautiful that our sister Jalita read about hope. You know, God gives us hope. He puts something in us that will not allow us to give up uh, because the hope is this thing that we have is an expectation from God. We have an expectation that God's word is true and that God is going to do what he says. Uh, earlier, if you, were, if you missed the, um, the opening uh, part of our service today, I was mentioning the fact that when I was a young, I didn't get into the mechanics of it, but when I was a young boy, I remember Christians always talking about the coming of the Lord. Uh, anybody old enough to remember that or, or maybe remember just, you're not old, but you still remember? Yeah, just, just a handful of you. But we always talked about the, uh, the coming of the Lord, and we were looking forward to the coming of the Lord. I find that that is not really uh, a refrain or a chorus from the church today. The church, we don't, we don't talk about uh, uh, the coming of the Lord like we ought to. Uh, that is going to be the very best day of our lives when the Lord comes, just like he said. We are living in uh, perilous times, harsh times, difficult times. And I know that there are people in human history who have lived in perhaps in, uh, per, in a personal way worse times, you know, because it's always really bad when it's happening to you at the moment. Uh, we have uh, many of our loved ones who have gone off to war and others have been in the, the middle of war. I was talking to Brother J.R., and he was talking about his uh, being in war and what it looked like and felt like. But you and I are living in a time when, um, as my parents would say, uh, the, the evil days have come. And uh, we are living in such a difficult time. I thought to share this other message, hope beyond the temporal. I had thought maybe I would just stop it but I, the Lord laid it on my heart to share the fourth message or the fourth part. And, and I've titled this one, Do Not Love the World. But it's still from the series, Hope Beyond the Temporal, Hope Beyond uh, That Which is Temporary. This world is passing away, and God wants you to have hope or an expectation from God that is greater than the things you see and feel. He wants you to have that. Now, sometimes we have these distractions. We have things that are vying for our attention. We have competing interests. And I would like for us to re-examine that and not allow competing interests to take our focus from the Lord. In Romans chapter 8, I would like to begin in verse 20. Uh, let's try verse 20. I, I think I sent you something uh, um, verse 23, but I want to start in verse 20. Paul says, for the creation was subjected to futility, vanity, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself, the creation itself also will be delivered. And when Paul talks like this, when he writes like this, he is sharing with us some information that is, as my wife would say, is between the lines. So he says that the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption 
into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And so Paul wants us to know that God has something planned for you better than any Christmas you've ever had. Yes, better. And, he said, and Paul goes on to say, for we know. And he uses this expression often because I hear a lot of uh, b- b- people who say they are believers in the Lord, they say, I don't know. But Paul always says, but, but we know or for we know. And so there are some things that you're supposed to know. That is, you know that God is faithful. You know that God is not unfaithful. You know that God is the truth, that God cannot tell a lie. It's an impossibility for God to lie. There are some things you're supposed to know, and you're supposed to know when he spoke to you also. How is it? Because you have his spirit. I said because you have his spirit. You have the Spirit of God. Now, some of you are, somebody's excited about it, but some of you are just kind of lackadaisical about it. You know, I got a spirit, so tell me something new. No, no, no. The Spirit energizes you. Yeah, energizes you. I, I've, I've, I've sort of been lighthearted with this congregation for years and years, and I would tell you about when I was a boy how the old preachers, they did what we, I call tell-you-off preaching. You know, they would come in the pulpit. Some of you remember that, right? They would come in the pulpit and they just tell you off. And uh, so I don't want to be one of those tell you off preachers. All right? But let's look at that. There's some things you're supposed to know. And if you don't know, uh, somebody will tell you something you should not know. Um, uh, I'm, I'm not preaching my wife today, but one of her other isms. She says, now, when you wake up, if you don't have an agenda, somebody will give you one. Right? So, so that means if you don't know what you're supposed to do, somebody has a job for you. And, and oftentimes the enemy has a job for you. Are you still with me? Paul says, for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. So from, from the day Adam sinned, the creation has been groaning with birth pains to produce something, to bring something. But Paul goes on to say to say to us, not only that, but we also, not only does the creation groan, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Do you know you have the first offering of the Spirit that God gave to man on a permanent basis? You have. You have. That's amazing. I mean, do we appreciate what we have? You have the Spirit of God living inside you. I think we just ought to take just a few seconds and think about it. You have right now the Spirit of God living in you. Amen. So Paul says, like creation is groaning and labors with birth pangs. Now, any woman who is here who has had a child, you know what birth pains are like. You know, and I, 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 I observe them, but I don't really know what they're like. I cannot empathize. I can sympathize because I said I will not be nervous like some, pa- some parents, uh, dads, uh, and when I drive to, to the hospital, I'm going to have it together and drove in the wrong gear all the way over. <laughs> but that's still not like experiencing the pain. So Paul says not only does creation have pains. He says, but those of us who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we, in the, in the same manner as the creation, even we 
ourselves, groan within ourselves. So he's saying that there is something going on inside every believer who is groaning inwardly, inaudibly, waiting for something to happen. We are groaning within ourselves, sighing, you know, sighing within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption. We talked about this word eagerly in the scriptures. It means that you have an anticipation. You're expecting something. You're on your tippy toes. You're waiting like little children when they're waiting for mom and dad to come back to, to the house from the store. They are waiting on their tippy toes. He says, that's what's happening inside every true spirit-filled believer. And we're eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. And so th- this other phase of adoption, we talked about it recently, how adoption means that does not mean that you're saved by adoption, but it means that God has brought you into full adulthood, and that you are able to carry out his business, the family business, which the kingdom of God is the family business. And then he says that we have, we're eagerly waiting for the adoption. What, what is the final aspect of that? It is the redemption of our body. So God has bought us. He has, he has redeemed us, but he has also, that is, we are a new creation. And inwardly, we are a new creation. And there's coming a point in time when he is going to redeem our bodies, just like our spirit man is redeemed. Your spirit man is redeemed. And, you know, I teach here that there is a place in a believer that knows no sin. I know that people think that's crazy and idiotic, but there's a place because John teaches us that, that there's a place in us where we can't sin. It's where Jesus dwells. I know that we talk about the other parts of us. Yeah, the soul, I can still sin there. I can still sin in my body. But there's a place where there is no demonic presence, and that is in the very spirit of the living God that lives in us in our hearts. Amen. Something like that. And so Paul goes on to say in verse 24, for we were saved in this hope. So God saved us with this hope, but not with this wish. This God saved us with an anticipation of adoption, of redeeming our body, the whole man, spirit, soul, and body. And our soul right now, each soul is under renovation. How do you know How do you know? Because every day we have something that happens and we have to give our souls over to the workings of the Holy Spirit more and more. Yes, if you're not giving yourself over more and more, you are not being changed. All right? So we, but this is all designed that we might have hope beyond or expectation from God beyond what we see and feel. We were saved in this hope. And Paul tells us, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? So the things that you are seeing here are not our hope. They're not our expectation from God. Certainly, I want to live in a, in a nation where there's not, there are not wars and rumors of wars every day. I want to live in a nation where despots cannot decide they just want my country. I want to live in a day where there's not so much crime everywhere you look. There's a hijacking or, or a b- breaking into a store or robbing the house. I, I want to live in peace and safety. But this still, even when I, we have a decline in crime, it's still just a momentary decline. Because this is not our hope. We can pay our bills today, but something could happen to take all of your money away. 
And then where would your hope be? You see, this world that we see is not what we hope for. It's not what we are expecting from God. We are to live this life by the power of the Holy Spirit with a view of heaven, with a view of the promises of God being totally and fully fulfilled. That's what God wants for us. He does not want us always embroiled in the things of this life. And I know that there are some who will teach you that that, that's not so. He wants that. I can be a good citizen with my view on heaven. I'm a good earthly citizen with my view on heaven. Why? Because I don't cause any any unnecessary trouble. I don't cause any unnecessary problems. Now, I might cause some trouble, but it's going to be necessary trouble. All right? Okay, give the Lord a hand. Now, in, in verse 22, Paul introduces this new thought which, which sets forth the hope of future deliverance from suffering under this curse that we have been in. We live in a fallen world. You know, I find so often uh, young believers in the Lord uh, and some are older believers in the Lord, but they are still young, you know, <laughs> they haven't developed. Uh, they seem to, to think that that the problems that we are having ought to just immediately go away and uh, all you need is this thing called faith. And If you really learn the laws of faith, you can live a, a life that manipulates every situation and it will be as though you never lived in a fallen world. I, you know, can I just say one thing about, about COVID and then I'll move on? Okay, that's, that's, they said I can say it over here. <laughs> so... So, so this is what this is what somebody says said to me. Um, you know, we wear masks not because we're afraid. We wear them because we love our brother, and we don't want to give anybody something we may have inadvertently contracted. And and they, they stand there with the glasses uh, uh, on and say, "Faith over fear," and they say that to me. I mean, I have said it to me. Yeah, pastor said it to me. So it's not and while they've got wearing glasses and have pills in their pocket. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying we're not, we're not fearful. We're not fearful. We're full of faith because we know that it, it, ultimately it's God who takes care of us. We know that. So, so don't be pulled into all of this stuff because you may, yeah, I, I don't like masks either. I don't like wearing them, but don't be pulled into that. Or other arguments, whether it's okay for a, a dictator to invade a sovereign nation. Don't get all embroiled in that. Don't, don't do that. Why? Because we have hope beyond this sin-cursed world. We have hope beyond this fallen state. This is a fallen world, and God has, has caused us to walk through it by the power of the Holy Spirit with our focus on Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're supposed to do. Now, we might cause some trouble, but we're only going to cause trouble because we're doing the right thing. Paul explains this to the Corinthians very well in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 3 through 5. He says, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Now, we, uh, today, many Bible teachers will say, well, well, that's not faith, unless they read where it was Paul. If we were, if I were to say, I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling, he needs faith. We need to pray for him. 
You see how, how things have changed. But Paul said this. Now, listen what Paul was saying, though. We have to understand the context because context determines who said that? Meaning. It, so context determines meaning. Context determines meaning. All right? So Paul says, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. Not of wisdom, of human wisdom. But in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. The demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Why? That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Paul is saying, I want to direct you toward God at all times. Always directing you toward Jesus Christ. Always directing you toward heaven. Not on your personal comfort. And God is good, right? God is so good that he will not allow uh, people like me who say, God, can we just... You know, when, when, when all of these things that people are depending on, when they fail and they come looking at, looking at us, can we just peep out the door and not open it right away? You know, he says, no, you open it wide for them. That's how God loves. You, no, no, you open it wide for them. You don't just peep out the door and say, yes, may I help you? You don't do that. You, yeah, you have to be full-throated. You have to have arms wide open for the people of God because that's how God loves us. He loves those of us who are making right decisions now, and he loves us who are making wrong decisions now. But he's going to love us into the right, even if it's at the last minute. He's going to love us into the right. Amen. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10, Paul reads and he says, writes rather, and he says, and you, speaking of the Thessalonians, you became followers of us and of the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? You became followers of us and of the Lord. I, you know, there's so much uh, craziness in the world and so many false teachings that we're afraid to say, follow me as I follow Christ. I mean, it, it was uh, the mantra of the early church. It was the refrain or the chorus of the early church, follow me as I follow Christ. And so he says, you became followers of us and of the Lord. So you want to live your life in such a way that during all of this confusion and craziness that's in the world, people ought to say, ah, I can follow this person. I've watched their manner of life. I, I've seen them in all kinds of situations. I can follow them as they follow the Lord. Because sometimes, you know, when we are babes in the Lord, as we were babes once per, uh, uh, physically here on the earth, I can remember um, always trusting my mother and father. You, you remember that? I always trusted my mom and, and dad. And so I would always reach for my dad's hand. I was so short, you wouldn't believe it. I could reach up to my dad. I could reach up to my dad's hand, and dad was only about 5'11 or 6 feet tall. And so I could reach up to his hand, and I was holding his hand. And so when the dogs were barking, and, you know, in those days, everybody seemed to have dogs, and dogs were always barking. You know, we, we've just missed a whole lot in our maturation process. Dogs were always barking. Well, now they're not literal dogs barking. They're, they're dogs nevertheless. There, there are dog uh, voices out there. And they're barking and they're vicious and they're growling. And I would always, when that would happen, I'd hold my dad's hand. I would hold my dad's hand. I can never remember being to the left of my dad. I can never remember. I was always to his right. I always seem to have walked to his right. And every time I have a supernatural dream, I'm always to the right of the supernatural person in my dream. 
It's amazing. But I was always to his right, and I would hold his hand as the dogs were barking and growling. And you and I need to have such a relationship with Jesus that we're not looking at total satisfaction in this world. We're not looking at, we're not living for this world. We're living for the world to come. And we ought to always hold his hand. Hold his hand. There's strength in his hand. And so Paul says, followers of, somebody ought to be able to hold your hand while they are learning to hold God's hand. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. Wouldn't that be so great? Your faith has gone so out into this community and online that I don't have to say anything. So, yeah, this is what he's saying. You know, it's up to you to continue the work of the Lord. Um, uh, we, I had a, a little situation where I was talking with someone about uh, someone who was teaching, was a very, very, very gifted and good teacher, who was teaching and said basically that the cross is not a finished work. And uh, uh, something like to that effect. And uh, was making the case that that, that, that work is continual. I, I said, well, it's really a finished work. Our work is not finished. Because as long as there are people, as long as we're alive, there are going to be people who need that finished work. That's not, the cross is not an incomplete work. It is a finished work. And here uh, what Paul is saying, that these people were declaring the word of God that they didn't have to say anything. For they themselves declare among us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living God. So you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And... It wasn't all of it. And there's more. And what? And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. It is pivotal to our faith. It is pivotal to our faith that we turn from idols, things that are not of God. You say, well, I'm not an idol worshiper. Things that are not of God. You know how the enemy does the enemy does, he uses the bait, his bait, he's, he's, he's smart enough. He's diabolical, he's demonic. He's a bad person, a bad being, but he's, he, he's, he's, he's cunning. And he knows how to get you. He knows how to get you. He knows how to get me. All he has to do is he's got a hook. His hook is your destruction, but you never see it. And it's hidden from view, like, the, like most fish. Now, you've got to be a real dumb fish if you, uh, if, if you get hooked from a lure. Something's not even food. You know, just put something shiny, a piece of tin foil on a hook, and you go, you know, you got to be crazy. The enemy does some of that because it, take, it doesn't take much for some of us. But this is what he does is he takes things that he knows are important to you. And that's how he lures you. Uh, when I was a little boy, we grew up in the country, and we grew up to be good citizens. How many of you remember that? 
you, you, you went to class and you, you, they were always talking about citizenship and, civ- and uh, being kind to one another and being polite and courteous. It was always, we, we were indoctrinated with that. And, and, and so what he does is he'll take those things, now that we're grown up, and he'll use those things to hook us and to bring us away from our true focus. Yeah. And those people who tell us that then become sometimes our enemies. We have to be careful. He says here, they decla- uh, for they themselves declare concerning us what entry we had to you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. See, now we have, I would say all here have turned uh, to God from idols, those things that we worship, whether it was our, our children or our our fine automobiles or our, our car, our houses or our clothing or, or our, our country, our country or anything of the sort. Yeah, so we have to turn, if we have made those things an idol, we have to turn away. Wow, it's, it's quiet here. I, you would think I sinned right here in public. <laughs> yeah. I did not sin. But that's not enough to turn away from those idols, those things that keep your focus off God. He says, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Are you really in, a, in that perpetual state of readiness or, or, or waiting? Are you waiting, really waiting for the Lord to come? Or if the Lord were to come in the next few minutes, would you say, oh, I forgot something, God, please come a little later? God, we, we, we should be eagerly waiting for him from heaven, uh, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us, listen, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in Jesus. Yeah. It's not in this world. It's not in this world. So the things that are not of God are idols. Those things are demanding our focus and attention. Let's not give our focus nor our attention to them. Now, let me say a couple of other things before uh, we close it today. We are living in this un- these uncertain times. Um, I know that we live in a, in a good nation. Uh, I have to go on record and say that. We live in a, in a great nation. It's not a perfect nation, but it's the best the world system can offer. It's a great nation. And we're supposed to be, we're, we're really very powerful. We're a very, very powerful nation. I, I would like to, for some of our, our finance people to talk about it sometimes. You know, you're living in a very powerful nation when you have fewer nuclear weapons, but the most potent ones in, on the planet. Then you're living in a world where, uh, where it's your nation's finance, financial system. And they can say to nations that acting contrary, okay, you cannot play in our financial system any longer. Wow, that's big. You can't use our money. You can't use our system. So that is an amazing reality. That's where we live. So we live in that. But, there's a B-U-T there. But, we cannot pour all of our attention there because our, our hope is not, oh, we live in the mightiest nation in the world. Oh, we live in a nation that has its financial system that covers the whole globe. And, man, we are in control. Those are good things in a fallen world perhaps, but they are not the things that should demand our attention and focus. <laughs> They're not. They're not. Now, now, let me sum up with this. 
And I'll sum up briefly. Do not love the world, neither the things that are in the world. This is what the scripture says. And in 1 John chapter 2, he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. And that means an entity or sphere of operation which is hostile to God. That's what he means by the world. That sphere of operation that's hostile to God. Don't you play footsie with that sphere of operation that's hostile to God. Don't you play footsie with it. If anyone loves the world, he says, the love of the Father is not in him. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in in you. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity or hatred with God? I'm glad you let me live a while, Lord. He goes on to say, Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Is there anybody here who would say, well, I wouldn't have said it like Pastor just said it. Well, I read it out of the Bible. Then, then John says, for all that is in the world, all that is in the world, all that is in that sphere of operation... In the world, the lust of the flesh, that means ungodly, ungodly bodily appetites, ungodly bodily appetites. Then the lust of the eyes, covetous eyes, wanting what does not belong to you. And the pride of life, boasting in what one has or in what one does. He says, that is not of the Father, but is of the world. Whenever you have men getting together, we men, the first thing you do, you ask a man, what do you do? Not who are you, but what do you do? Well, I'm a mechanic. What do you do? Well, I'm a, an astrophysicist. Well, what do you do? Well, I, own, I own a store. What do you do? I work at the refinery. So we identified by what we do. You ask a, one, two women getting together, said, how's your family? You have children? That's a lot better than what we guys tend to do. This is, this is my last statement. And the world is passing away. That sphere of operation that I've talked about, that's so amazing, even with our nation, I'm glad to be a part of this nation. I'm glad. I've traveled the world probably more than anybody in this room. I'm glad to be here. But this is what he says about it. The world is passing away. And the lust of it, but he or she who does the will of God abides forever. I'll be back in a minute.